This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming from Washington, host of the podcast, Transformative Principal, and author of the book, School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I am Frederick Wayne, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including the most recently Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, cyber safety, and today, youth protection. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyberethics, an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricula development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. And greetings there, Jethro. Greetings to you as well. Good to see you. Well, it is good to be here doing another one of our great interviews. So let's march on and get it started. Yeah, so not only is Dr. Joaquina Kankam an expert in youth protection compliance and risk management, but her practical experience has made her a leader in understanding the needs of youth-serving organizations. In addition to being an educator of K-12 and higher, Joaquina has presented several national association conferences and participated as a panelist in several discussions regarding youth. Joaquina, welcome back, I should say, to the Cybertraps podcast because we had you on back in October and excited to get you on to focus just on this and not share the limelight with that other podcast. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) That other podcast, which is how many episodes now, Jethro? (laughs) Uh, Just like 460, no big deal. (laughs) <laughs> no big deal at all. 
<laughs> well, that makes you our first repeat guest, Joaquina. So, oh my welcome. goodness! Thank you. Oh, that just made my day. Oh my gosh! Let me pull my microphone a little closer, then. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. It's a it's a pleasure. So, I was not here for that last interview, obviously. So, I didn't have the privilege and the pleasure of getting to know you as well as I might. So if you wouldn't mind, tell me a little bit about your journey uh, and the work that you do that's going to form the basis of our chat today. Yes, first I would like to say thank you for having me. Thank you for having me as a repeat guest. That's so special to me. I, <laughs> that means the world to me. I, I first began my journey in education in 2004 as a teacher in K through 12, I've taught almost everything from kindergarten, pre-kindergarten to eighth grade. I've been a campus administrator as an instructional specialist before transitioning into higher education, where I taught classes to various diverse learners and learning types at the higher education levels. And then I went into working for 4-H as a state program specialist, where a lot of the work that I do now was a result of the things that took place on the university's campus and while working under the university system. Um, I, 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 the youth protection became a really big issue for me. Like my very first, within my very first couple of months within working at the university, I remember I got hired my first day. They said, okay, in a month and a half, you have to do this summer program and we're going to bring all these kids to campus and you're responsible and nothing's planned pretty much. So in the progress of doing it, once we got the kids to campus, I discovered that there were a lot of things that could cause us to be sued. And I kept saying to my supervisor, I said, we did this, but all I saw was a bunch of liabilities and I think we're going to be sued. I think there's a problem. And they said, no, 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 everything's fine. Everything's great. I said, no, there's some issues here, you know, that we have to address. And they said, no, everything's fine. They did an audit, come to find out. They pulled five of our applications, all five popped for one reason or another. And this has, this was literally the beginning of my journey in youth protection and risk management and making sure we do everything as closely as we can down to the letter to protect children when they are in our care, custody, and control. So what I'm going to discuss today is a facet of this youth protection that most youth servant organizations do not consider at all. And the reason why it's so important that we consider it is because I believe cybersecurity, especially now because of the pandemic and all of the cyber crimes that are happening globally, where every other you know month or so you're hearing about a ransom attack, that where they're asking for so many millions of dollars, where they're holding up the entire grid or every, you know, they're about to cause destruction, mass destruction, if they're not given so many millions of dollars within a certain amount of time, basically because they hacked into the system and basically took over it. This is not what youth serving organizations think of when they think of planning for kids or bringing them into their care. And the reason why it's so important is because not only are the youth interacting online with strangers, strangers that they're not aware of, but we often, as youth servant organizations, 
we're encouraging our, our employees to get on social media and interact with people. And our, our, our targeted clientele are, are youth. So interact with our targeted clientele. We're, we're setting up systems where we're trying to get people to engage with our websites and get more involved. We're encouraging youth participants to have conversations with adults outside of programming hours and structured programming. And we don't have anything in our policies. We have nothing in our procedures that not only address what not to do, but there's nothing there to hold people accountable in the event that these conversations become a little bit too personal rather than professional. So and that's the problem. No, the, I mean, you're raising a whole host of critical issues. <laughs> I will say that my wife is in higher ed, and this all sounds very familiar you know, to what she experiences. But I think that the points that you're raising that are most pressing for Jethro and myself are the issues of accountability and transparency in terms of communication between adults and kids. So what kinds of things are you working on to improve that you know, in the programs that you're involved in? Well, one thing that I would encourage all you servant organizations to do is to first start with their policy. And if there is nothing in your policy that addresses what your limitations are when it comes to interacting or communicating with minors via social media, via online, outside of programming, that should be clear that there should be a prohibition on any form of communication outside of educational programming, period. That should be in policy, that should be in your procedures, so then you can create a clear path of accountability to hold individuals accountable for blurring those lines. It should be clear and very in succinct, concise, brief, detailed wording. You know, you need to write it in a way people can understand it that we do not permit anyone working for our organization or even volunteering for our organization to have any lines of communication with minors outside of educational programming. That's number one. Number two, there should be a checks and balances system in place. So in the event that you have a social media manager who's responsible for engaging your targeted clientele, which are the minors and their parents, there's a checks and balance in place to ensure that there's no private conversations taking place in these messages. You know, I have an Instagram over 60,000 youth from all over the globe. And it is so easy for you to get caught up with inappropriate conversations in those instant messages. And I don't think that people who are not directly involved with social media marketing and social media coordinators, if you're at a senior level, you probably wouldn't even understand how easy it is for a innocent situation to turn into something really inappropriate very quickly. And I have to let people know, because I run my social media, uh, well, most of it I run, that we're not permitted to give out anything more than our names. I'm not permitted to give you my private Instagram handle. I'm not permitted to have conversations with you like video chats. I'm not permitted. And this is part of my company's policy that we're only because we are aware that 
perhaps I would say 70% or more under 18, that like the likelihood of me talking to a minor is very, it's every other person I'm talking to pretty much. So <laughs> sure. we have to be very, you know, aware of our approach in what we're saying, how we're saying it, and making sure we are very clear that you are not permitted to cross these boundaries. And then there's someone there who will actually check to make sure that those boundaries aren't crossed. And I don't think that's happening. I don't think that's happening at all. Yeah, I I would definitely say that that's not happening in a lot of places for sure. That one, the policy's not in place, and two, the checks and balances aren't in place. And there's a whole myriad of reasons why that could be that are perfectly uh, okay and natural and like nobody is thinking about this stuff, which is which is part of what the issue is. And there, as as Fred has demonstrated clearly over the years in his books, there's a lot of teacher misconduct as it relates to interacting with students in inappropriate ways. And it's much smaller than very small compared to how many people are out there. But the fact that any kids are being harmed by this is a is a problem to be sure, especially by someone who's in a position of power like that. So it, some school districts have things in place. They have some apps that you can use to communicate with parents and with students and things like that. And and that's all well and good. But the checks and balances, I think, is what the issue is, is that people aren't really going through and checking that one because the volume is so much, Joaquin, and there's so little time to be able to sift through all of that. So people have started uh, employing artificial intelligence to help them filter through these things. And is that good enough to have as a check and balance? Or do you need more than the artificial intelligence? I think we need to also, we need to involve our human element as much as possible. The goal is to make sure that the checks and balances not only involve the organization, but the parents as well. Parents still have a certain amount of responsibility when it comes to what their children are doing. So just like my child has schoolology for school, I can see his side as well as I can see my side. The goal is for the youth servant organizations to not only encourage, but to make it so that parents don't have any other options but to get on and to check and to look at things. You have to drive them to that website so that they'll be forced to go in there and check things and see what's really going on with their children. So it's not just the youth servant organization has all of these many things that they need to do. And yes, they do because they will be the ones sued at the end of the day. But at the same time, we have to understand that we can encourage others to be just as vigilant as we are in this process. And parents have the responsibility to ensure that their children are safe, just like we have the responsibility to ensure that their children are safe. So that's a part of it as well. So yes, there are thousands of kids, but for every kid, there's a parent or a guardian who enrolled that child into school. So if we have all of those eyes watching along with our artificial intelligence, then there's so much that we're able to catch that ordinarily wouldn't be. But it takes a lot of planning, a lot of preparation, and a lot of vigilance and persistence and consistency to ensure that this is working the way that it's designed to work. Well, having raised four boys or helped to raise four boys, I mean, one of the jokes we used to have is that you could never tell a 
boy once or twice. It no. took hundreds of times of reiterating things. And it seems to me, Joaquina, that you've got exactly that same dynamic, but you've got three different groups. You've got the people involved in your programs, you've got the parents, and then you've got the kids. Mm-hmm. And all of the members of these groups need to be educated about exactly. these kinds of issues. Exactly. And we often, we stop, we educate, and I'm not going to say, because we talked about this last time, you know, as a teacher, I, when we talk about education, I get really, I could go left. But we partially educate the staff and we partially educate the parents. But the people who should be educated the most on how to protect themselves and how to report things that aren't right and how to recognize when something is off are the children. And they are the ones that we tend to not consider when it comes to education and training in youth protection. They should be the first ones that we think of. This should be a part of, you know, schooling. Like, this is inappropriate. If you see this, report it. If someone says this, report it. Parents, you have a responsibility to teach your kids what is appropriate conversations with their teacher, what isn't. What should should you see in their social media? What shouldn't you see? And if you see something that you feel is suspect, we don't care if you think that, oh, maybe it could be, maybe it could be reported to us anyway. We need to know. That way we can stop it before it gets started. But that takes vigilance and that takes planning. Well, it takes preparation. It, and it also, Joaquin, it takes having those conversations with kids. And a lot of times we don't want to have those conversations because, one, we don't want to spoil their innocence and say these kinds of things could happen. And, two, a, a lot of people just are not comfortable having those conversations to begin with. And, you know, so many parents delay having those conversations. And we've had numerous guests on the podcast who say, you you need to talk about this stuff whatever this is with your kids much before you're comfortable talking about it because you by the time you're comfortable talking about it your kids already have been exposed to it yeah i think that that's really good advice and something that we have to remember and pay attention to and actually do so it's not enough to say we should do this but we need to actually have those conversations so what's your advice about actually having those conversations and how to put a plan in place for a school to start somewhere with this well to actually have those conversations in terms of parents having conversations with their children about how to recognize the signs Jethro is that what you mean? Well, I was thinking more about, well, yes, that. How do you how do you get the parents to be talking about this also? But then how do you bring it up in a school setting in a way that's um, that's appropriate if you've never done this before? That's, I think, part of the challenge is we've never talked about this. And you don't want to wait until something happens before you start talking about it because then everything is tainted by that incident of whatever happened. If and you even talk about it. Up. Yeah, you're yeah, playing catch up the whole time versus being proactive, you're being reactive. Well, for me, it's a part of our approach with School of Solutions. We know that cybersecurity is a part of youth protection. We understand that teaching internet safety is a part of youth protection. You do not have youth protection without it. So when it comes to how we approach youth protection, this is a part of it. And when I audit a university or audit an organization, one of the um, 
parts of the audit is, well, we don't see a prohibition of communications. We don't see it in your policies. We don't see it in your documents. And that's something that you might want to consider. And so our goal is to make them aware of what's missing and let them know why they need to consider adding this in. And oftentimes it's easier than people believe it is, but it's hard at the same time. Because if you really want to make this stick and you really want to make it work, it requires the board approval with policy changes or policy amendments. So my approach now is addressing the boards and saying, hey, this is the issue. This is where we need to start with this. This is what we need to talk about. This is what we need to address. Because if we can get the board on board, then we can get everyone else to follow suit. And especially when it's in policy at that point, then it's a lot more difficult to just ignore it. You know, sometimes we can ignore it because we don't have a policy about that. And so we kind of just pretend like it's not happening or not something we need to worry about. And bringing the attention to the school board, I think, is a good place to start because they're the ones who will ultimately be dealing with whatever ends up happening if something does mm-hmm. happen. And uh, unfortunately, things do happen all over the place. So we definitely want to prevent that. I think that's that's good advice there. Well, Tina, one other thing I'd love to um, follow up on, if I could, is, is the tools that you develop to make this stuff better, right? To create awareness, to create accountability and transparency and so forth. It seems to me, and, and Jethro and I have talked a lot about this, that one of our great resources is actually the people we're trying to protect. That mm-hmm. is to say the kids, because they have a lot of skills, a lot of insight into how these different tech tools are being used. So to what extent do you view them as a resource or incorporate them into the educational process that needs to take place? For me, I always use them as possibly my control group. When I did youth programming, I would always invite my nieces and nephews to participate and no one knew that they were my nieces and nephews necessarily. <laughs> and so I would have them with amongst the kids and you would be surprised at how much, because they've been in school and their, their whole lives, schools pretty much have a routine to them. So you would be surprised at how often kids would notice when things are off or when things are not right. And they would say, auntie, do you know what happened today? Such and such and such and such happened and blah. And I'm like, oh my God, are you serious? And they would say, yeah, I couldn't believe it myself. And you would be surprised. So I, I always enjoy hearing their feedback. I always enjoy hearing their insights and their thoughts. And I was the type of teacher who every test my students took, I took. So I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I'm talking with my niece and my nephew about different things. I look at what they look at. I follow what they follow so that when they're getting posts and updates, I'm getting posts and updates. You know, I want to be aware of what they're putting inside their minds. And that's such a key point. I let them know if you get that feeling in your stomach that something may not be right or something's off, that's your intuition telling you that something's off and you listen to that and you follow that. And they know, 
they know. So when parents feel like, I don't want to have these types of conversations with my kids. No, I don't want to have those types of conversations with my kids either, or my nieces and nephews either. But I do tell them to listen to their intuition. I do tell them what's appropriate and inappropriate. Like my niece told me her teacher encouraged encourages the kids to call them grandma. And it's kind of the situation is so suspect where even you see, 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 you're shaking your head. That's what I said. I said, these lines are blurred. And it's to me, the way the conversations were going on and things just happening, I almost feel like, and, you know, as a teacher, I don't want to accuse anybody, but it almost feel like it could be grooming. And it's just that easy. And that's what parents fail to realize is how easy it is for a person to groom their preference to trust them. So you have to have the conversations. You have to be open and you don't have to make it explicit. It doesn't have to be vulgar, but have a conversation that if someone is saying this to you and this person is 38 and you're 12, do not engage with this person. It's that easy. And, and you know, I wish, Joaquin, I wish parents could really hear your message across the country because so many people don't want to have that conversation and I don't blame them, but you're absolutely right. It needs to occur because we're giving kids these incredibly powerful devices that allow so many people to contact them. And if we're going to give them that capability, we need to give them the understanding of what can happen. It's That's the trade-off. And there's so many scammers on Facebook, even LinkedIn. LinkedIn has so many people on there scamming with fake profiles, and there's so many scammers on Facebook. You don't know who you're talking to. They could be millions of miles across the globe telling you they're staying down the street. You could give them all of your information unknowingly because you're innocent and you don't know. And you're thinking you're doing the right thing. You're thinking you're talking to a friend, but you're talking to someone that's preying on your innocence. So you have to, as parents, hold yourself accountable to, in, to engage your children in conversations that not don't have to necessarily be difficult, but that are extremely necessary. It's necessary that you inform them that there are some bad people out here who want to take advantage of you because simply because they don't think you know any better. And it's my job to teach you better. Yeah, I, I think that's so helpful. And I, I think my final comment is it, all of this doesn't change the day that you turn 18. There's no longer people out there trying to take advantage of you. So these are not skills that are just for kids. These are mm -hmm. skills that everybody needs to have because somebody, if they can, will want to take advantage of us at some point. And to be a smart online person, you have to be aware when these things happen. And I've been targeted multiple times in email of somebody reaching out, trying to connect, trying to get me to click on a link or do something like that. And those things happen all the time. I've had spam followers on all the social media networks that are just trying to take advantage of me and try to get extract something from me. And it's important to know what those look like and to be prepared and to not engage with them, even from a very young age. And that's a skill that will last you a lifetime as well, because oh, yeah. I, I don't think the scammers are ever going away.
<laughs> There's no way to control them. Yeah. Well, and let me tack on to what Jethro said, and, and then we'll bring this to a close, Joaquina. But my wife and I, we have elderly parents, and I would say that the bulk of the queries I get from them are, is this real? Or mm. should I click on this link? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I think what is so great about the work you're doing is it's an investment in lifelong skills, you know, in terms of dealing with online activity. And we really should be committing to setting our kids up as well as we can, because they'll be dealing with this for the rest of their lives. Yes, and it makes me want to just buy your book so much more now after this conversation. I really, <laughs> I've been, I've been really, it's been weighing on me so much cybersecurity and youth protection. And I just, and I've, I've done webinars and I've done, you know, and sure, I've taught myself on like ransom attack and Trojan horses and you know, all that stuff. But just to really put it together in a way that parents can really see how important cybersecurity and internet safety is, especially right now. So I'm going to get your link from somebody and I'm going to buy that book. <laughs> well, <to> start reading. <laughs> I love hearing you say that. Nothing makes an author happier, as Jethro well knows, yes. than an enthusiastic reader. If anybody like yourself is interested, they should go to cybertraps.com. They should go to fredericlane.com or they should help Jeff Bezos launch another satellite (laughs) to amazon.com. In any case, Joaquina, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I am so happy I had this conversation. I am excited to start writing myself now. So thank you so much. Uh, It was a pleasure. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, I guess we just added space flight, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we will talk to our growing collection, almost 100 now, of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones. Fred is at Cybertraps and Joaquina is at the school of soul one. Did I get that right? (laughs) That's on Twitter. I'm um, the school of soul one, but everywhere else I'm at the school of solutions.com. All right. And the school of solutions.com. And if you're still listening, you must have loved this podcast. And if that's the case, leave us a five-star rating and review in your podcast service. We appreciate having you in our audience and look forward to having you join us for our next live episode on Monday. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. 
Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.